0: Reading if you're following along, I'll read the scripture and we will pray. John twelve forty four and Jesus cried, or Jesus cried and said, But he that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me, and he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world, that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. And I talk about again, his first entrance into the world, incarnation. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say, and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. May the Lord have blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given to us. Thank you that no one ever cared for us like Jesus. And when we have received you as personal Savior, we can have a moment-by-moment moment walk with you. Lord, I pray that you help me this week that I would do that. Lord, help me to keep my, uh, as my uncle told me, keep my knees on the floor and my eyes on the Bible, mind on you. And so, Lord, may that be my heart's cry this week. All of us. Lord, help us not to let things slip. Help us to endeavor to keep growing, that the working for a far more and eternal weight of glory, and let the temporal things fade away as we turn our eyes upon you. Lord, may you work in my life as I speak, be it the lives of each one who's hearing. Lord, maybe later on someone's listening online or via CD or a download. Be it those teaching downstairs, be it those away from us this week, those who are ill and infirm, those who cannot even attend because of illness today, those who are laid aside. Lord, you are capable of handling all this and billions of others at once. And so we're thankful that you are the infinitely powerful and holy God. It is you that I want to uplift today as we see the perfect submission of the Son to the Father working together in perfect harmony. May we learn, may we challenge this day. Forgive me of sin, empty me of self, and please fill me with your very spirit this day. Please fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We might add a subtitle, if you're taking down notes anywhere, the back of the bulletin there is room for notes Should you be uh, inclined to write things down, is uh, God's final notice. If you look in this passage, Jesus in 36, these things picked Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. So John is thinking back. Two, when Jesus said these words, uh, because Jesus had hit himself, John, remember, writing about 95 A.D. after the fall of Jerusalem, he's thinking back and just reviewing. Now, this is, we might call this the final notice. The final notice. Uh, A wife one day was opening the mail with her husband, and and she said, the bank says, dear, that this is our last notice. Isn't it wonderful that they will not be bothering us anymore? (laughs) That was from the Reader's Digest in 92. It is never wise to ignore final notices. It's true about bill collectors, about banks, but most importantly, it's true about the Word of God. Christ has come to die. He came to die, and He did die. He was gloriously raised, and He offers salvation. And you have a window that is open now in this age of grace to receive Christ as Savior. Don't ignore God's final notice. If you have yet to receive Christ as Savior, you need to do that today. I would be just most urgent upon that. Paul warned the Athenians in Acts 17, Because he hath appointed a day in, which, in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. God sends a final notice, if you would. It's best to pay attention. So the submission in person, and we see the object of faith in 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. There was such a perfect unity from eternity past all the way through Christ's earthly ministry, only interrupted for three hours on the cross, a unity of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working seamlessly together. And Jesus had done exactly what the Father wanted, and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was God saying, Amen, to the ministry of Jesus. He received the payment for your sin and mine when Christ rose from the dead. We find that our text presents Christ's final notice to the Jews who had not believed, as you well know. The Jews rejected Jesus. He's hidden himself. And so this is a rethinking back, if you would, on John's part. The Lord Jesus was willing then to come down here to our planet and to be to be named among us, to, to walk among us, to be tabernacled with us, that we might have life. What condescension so you want to see the Father, you look at Jesus. He is a die, the die-impress in Hebrews chapter 1, the first, the third verse. He is the express image of God. It's like when you look in the mirror, that's exact. I don't want it to be that, but it is, sadly. The exact way I look. I may not want that, but if you see me in the mirror, you see me, uh, it's the same thing. Maybe you're saying you can cover the mirror over. Oh, do they? are your mirrors even working in your house? Aren't you, like, really bad? No, they are. He is... The I impress of the Father. You want to know what God looks like? Jesus is here for you. So that's the object of the faith, Jesus, God. The object in focus in 45. He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Remember in John 10, 30, I and my Father are one. John ten thirty-eight. but if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. He has specifically Over and over and over declared himself to be God. There is no second, other, the third, fourth. There's only one belief. He is God. How important is it? You're not saved without it. If you believe that Jesus was simply a good person, a good teacher, another human being, or one of the 124,000 prophets of Muhammad, then you don't believe who Christ really is. You must believe that he was God of very God. Because if God didn't die for you, you have no salvation. He never, though he was God... Of very God, and he never once reputed or renounced his identity as God or his equality with God. Now, he did lay aside the independent exercise of his divine attributes for a time here on earth, but he still was upholding all things by the word of his power. Again, Hebrews chapter 1. He made himself wholly available to the Father, the Father made himself wholly available to the Son, and our redemption's plan from eternity past was accomplished. We sit by and we hear these messages like this, Sunday in, Sunday out. We fail to grasp the magnificence of Jesus dying for us. Upholding all things, your planet, your home, all things by the word of his power, all the planets, while at the same time holding a child on his lap, forbid them not. While at the same time ministering to a woman at the well, leading her to himself. It's, amazing. it's beyond my, it boggles my pea brain mind. I've got two brain cells, and when both of them work at the same time, they're like, I start, steam starts coming out. A little bit deeper even than that, we might say. these two ver- and these two verses, and verses nowhere else in Scripture, do these verses mean or teach modalism? Now, modalism is simply that Jesus and the Father are modes of the one God. Just one God, but he manifests manifests himself as the Father sometimes. Sometimes he manifests himself as the Jesus sometimes. And then the Spirit other times, etc. We would call the oneness Pentecostals, we call them Jesus only. That you must be baptized only in Jesus' name. And it's really a, we believe here at our church, and I believe all, the Trinitarian view of God. There's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons in one God and three persons. And they are working together in seamless harmony. Uh, and he is submitted to the Father. The, the Son is glorified by the Spirit. If you want to know where modalism comes from, which, will, by the way, it was debunked as heretical as far back as 325 A.D., the Council of Nicaea. It's the old civilianism, or the patripassianism if you're in the eastern, Rome, eastern roman empire the patripassianism if you're in the uh, the western part of the roman empire it was a sabellianism and then out of that grows modalism that he sometimes the mode of the father the mode of the son the mode of the spirit i reject all of that i believe clearly, clearly that christ was the son of god but he also has a father and there is the father and there is the spirit not has there is the father and there is the son and the spirit he affirms again in these verses that the father has sent him wouldn't that be nonsense if there's just one god and portrayed coming out as the father sometimes the son is i mean nonsense because he says that the father has sent him two separate individuals at the at the baptism of Jesus, there was the Spirit in the air, there was the Father's voice, and there was the Son being baptized. The Bible, that you won't find in our authorized version, you won't find the word Trinity anywhere. It's not there. The teaching, however, is replete and abundant, I believe, and clear. If you have your dialing fingers ready, just three verses regarding the Trinity uh, Matthew 28 19, 2 Corinthians 13, and Jude 20. Matthew 28 19. Now the cults love to say well there's the word Trinity is not in your Bible pastor so we can't, we can't believe in it. Well the teaching is clear. Grandfather, or grand, or grand, or grand uh, grandparents is also not in the Bible but I know I'm one of those <laughs> I know I'm one of those even though it's not in the Bible. and Matthew chapter, uh, me, I'm sorry Matthew chapter uh, 28 verse 19. Go, go ye therefore and teach all nations? Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So there's three together. In Second Corinthians chapter thirteen verse fourteen. 2 Corinthians three two. Second Corinthians three. 2 Corinthians thirteen. Sorry. When something like that, I tell you when something like that goes, it throws your mind off when you're speaking. What? Why is it doing that? Why is it? What can I get fix that? So you're trying to think of two things at once. And again, my two brain cells are going back and forth together. Second Corinthians chapter thirteen. That makes me. I've got to talk slower. Because that makes me talk faster. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. And amen. And Jude 20. No chapters. There's but one chapter. Jude verse 20. Jude verse 20. We go. Jude verse 20 and 21. But But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on the most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ until eternal life. In two verses, the three are right there together. So clearly, and if you want three summary statements from Wayne Gruden, God has three persons, each person's fully God, and there's one God. The God has three persons, he has three persons, each person's fully God, and there is but one God. The first point, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are distinct from one another. They're not three manifestations of one person. There are three distinct people, three distinct persons, if you would. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's more than one. We know that the Word Jesus was just the Father from the beginning. The fact that He was with God, distinguishing Him from the Father, the Word was God. Show that He was fully God. The second point that each person of the Trinity is fully God. Obviously, the Father is God. Jesus prayed to Him as the only true God in John seventeen, and there are many proofs that God, the Holy Spirit, is fully God as well. If you look at Acts chapter five verse three and four, you have lied Ananias and incensed fire to the what? To God, the Holy Ghost. John one one asserts that in the, that. Uh, that, that is true, is that he is the word, the word is the Word was God. In John 1.18, he's the only begotten of the Father, carrying the idea of unique and only. When Thomas said to the risen Lord, my Lord and my God, he said that to Jesus. Now the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that he was swearing there, but no, he was making an affirmation that Jesus is God. The Bible not only confer, affirms that God is three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, that each person is fully God, but there is but one God. John 12, 45. He that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And John 1, 18, No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. He repeats the answer. Is Jesus God? Yes. And John 14, 9. Have I been so long with you? The Philip and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? You've seen the Father because you have seen me. He is God. And they work together in harmony. 1 John 1, 2, 1 John 2.23 Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You cannot say, Well, I believe in God the Father, but I reject Jesus as God. That's not salvation. You must absolutely, beyond the shadow of a doubt, receive and believe that Jesus is God. He declares himself there. Either he's a terrible, the utmost worst liar ever, or he is God. That was a. Was it. Uh, Oh, he wasn't t- it was c.s lewis said he's either a lord a liar or a lunatic at your choices but to say he's simply a good teacher's not on the table he's either king of kings and lord of lords or he's something terribly less and if he's terribly less you'll have eternity to think about your response and not receiving him perfect submission to the father that was our savior in 17.3, he says, And this is life eternal, that thou might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So the submission in the person, submission in purpose in 46. I am come a light into the world. And back to our text in John chapter 12, verse 46. John 12, 46. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness, and 1236, while you have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself, did hide himself from them. See, without Christ, the world is gone awry. The world without Christ is in a spiritual moral darkness. The natural of man receiveth not the things of the spiritual spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. We are in a world that has no spiritual discernment. Yes, there's a lot of spirits, and yes, there's a lot of religions, but there's no true spiritual discernment. Even in our church, we're woefully ignorant. The church is a whole ignorant of what the Bible says. Ephesians 4.18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Why do we have such such a momentum of immorality across our own nation, a momentum of the culture of death in our own nation? Because we have rejected the morality of God. The truth of God's word that life begins at conception. The truth of God's word that the only time for physical intimacy is a man and a woman together with themselves married to each other. That's it. Everything else is not correct or a sin against God. But you to say those words probably down the road. I will either be turned off or I don't know what's going to happen. But the truth of God's word does not change by our ability to stomach it or by what we think is better. God's word shall stand. And when you're standing on the other side of God's word, woe is you. Woe is us! We are a nation under God's judgment. I really believe we're in a nation God under God's judgment. It's only going to get worse unless we we've got a r e p e. We've got a six letter word. We need repent. That's what I'm praying every day. I pray for repentance in America, starting from the top down, from the bottom up, and meet in the middle. I, we just need to repent as a country. We've turned our back on God. It seems we're on a train that has no brakes regarding our, our desire to self-destruct, it seems. God is gracious. Unbelievers typically believe in certain truths they like and reject other truths that are offensive to them, even though Scripture te- clearly teaches both truths. We believe that God is love because we all, and, and, and they like that one, but when He say God is holy, well, then we don't sort of like that so much. The world does not like that. When we hear that God is going to judge sinners in righteousness, they don't like that at all. But God cannot be loving without also being just and righteous. An unjust judge who lets uh, abusers of mankind go free because he loves them is neither righteous nor loving, nor should he be a judge. If God is God, then he must be both loving and just. So we are justified when we trust Christ's payment for our sin. It's, It's unfair, absolutely unfair that Jesus had to die for you, but he did And that is the only way we go to heaven when we have our sins laid upon him and we ask him to forgive us of those sins. You say, but pastor, there's a lot of people going to to heaven so many other ways. They're not going to God's heaven. Do you understand that heaven is God's? It is his. That's where he lives now. He decides. He decides who goes there. And what is the method to go? What's his method? It's through salvation through Christ. But there's so many who refuse to believe the truth of God's word. And morality speaking, in a Barna poll just nine years ago, which I imagine it certainly changed, polling people 18 to 34, general Americans, or just Americans in general, 49% think pornography is morally acceptable now. 72% say that physical intimacy between an unmarried man and woman is acceptable. 74% say that gay or lesbian relationships are acceptable. 71% say that having a baby outside of the marriage is acceptable. And we're too naive to think that it it's not going to ever come to the church. Only 46% in a poll in 2009 by Barna, only 46% of born-again Christians believe in absolute moral truth over half have rejected the absolute moral truth of God's word and they are saying they are Christians. I heard a was a podcast yesterday and the man said this statement if five percent of those who claim to be Christian in our land actually think about God more than five seconds a day I'll be surprised. How, how, how much have you thought about God already today outside of listening now? How much time do we spend? Thinking about God. We, we're, we're His children. How much of our lives, are, how much compare your watching of sports, your, compare your watching of movies, or whatever, to, to your reading of God's Word? Com- compare that. Compare what, what's, what's the breakdown of, of your reading? What's the percentage of time I spend reading God's Word and doing other kinds of media? And I'm not sure why the microphones are so loud today. I'm not sure why. Yeah. What is our percentage? In a 2021 American Worldview Inventory, a representative sampling of 2,000 adults found that 54% of the survey's participants embraced this postmodern idea that all truth is subjective. And you wonder why we have people so bent on what they believe and it's just as good as your what you believe because we have laid aside our one standard that has kept us in control. The Bible works if you follow those principles, whether you're a believer or not. I really believe the Bible's principles work. Matter of fact, we've had the Ten Commandments in the past. We've had them all over a lot of our buildings because the Ten Commandments work and they're for all mankind. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying all mankind are saved, but they work. The principle by which we are to guide our land, the believing then there's the hearing in forty seven if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not for I came not to judge the world but to save the world and there 's no contradiction by the way with that with john three seventeen if you'll turn back for just a moment to John chapter three there is no contradiction for the first time, yes, he came to give his life a ransom for many we understand that, but he is also coming back to judge the world he's going to be he 's going to be sitting on the throne. We're going to be giving account of ourselves to him as a Christian at the Bema seat, as an unbeliever at the great white throne judgment. I believe there's two separate judgments there. Some believe that we're all raised at one time for one general, depends on your eschatology, judgment. The concept of judgment is implicit. Look at John 3.18. John 3.18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, and that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Christ came, he is, a, he came, He's is, the, the gospel is the sword, the dividing point. Either you trust Christ as Savior or you don't. He wants you, he's not willing that any should perish. He wants you to come to know him, does he not? He does. He does. And there's the rejecting, the believing, the hearing in 48, the rejecting. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. Rejecteth, the word there means to count as nothing. A terrible offense to treat the words of the Lord Jesus in this way as nothing. Our cat decided uh, last night to uh, be more uh, vocal and pouncy as usual. And so usually you can put your covers up and he won't bother you if you act like you're asleep. My wife did that and he just jumped all fours right on her head. He was trying to pull the cover down, pull the cover down. And and boom, right on her face, right on the CPAP basket, right on there. And then this morning, she said, "No, we're going to have to talk, Ivan, about your behavior at night. And he's like, who, me? He's like talking to a brick wall. He's going to do what he wants. That's what cats do. They do what they want to do. That's right. That's why they're called a cat. Ignoring our appeals is typical and expected from a cat. But much more important, when we as human beings ignore the appeal of God, We just can't say, oh, who, me? Yes, you. Yes, you. You are in need of a Savior, for all has sinned and come short of the glory of God, and and the wages of sin is death if you do not turn from your way. And there's the judging, 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You're going to be judged by the words that Christ has preached, the words you've heard over the airways, the words your grandma and grandpa may have told you when you went to church when you were younger and you heard the gospel clearly presented. Don't you think people, when they stand before God, oh, I, and they know where it's coming, oh, if I had just, if I just responded one of those times and received you as personal Savior, won't you give me another chance? You've had your chance. Honestly, you've had your chance. I like what, no, we, we, maybe we have dispersion against John Calvin, but I like the way he, he paraphrases this. Burning with ardent desire to promote your salvation, I do indeed abstain from exercising my right to condemn you and am entirely employed in saving what is lost. But do not think that you have escaped out of, my, out of the hands of God. For though I should t- altogether hold my peace, the word alone which you have despised, is sufficient to judge you the word of God is clear for God so loved the world that he gave and you, if you turn your back on that you're going to be responsible for those who say no who reject the love of God displayed at Calvary there will be a last day we find that in Revelation 20 there will be a great white judgment and they will be held accountable I think more for the light they're rejected than anything how much light have you had well in America you've had pretty good light We've heard the gospel. You can turn on the TV almost any time of day. Now you're not going to hear the true gospel on all the stations by any means, but you have the Word of God. The Gideons will be here. They've given up billions—at least I think at least two, over two billion copies of God's Word in America. We especially have no excuse. We're like Beseda and Zidon and Ty or whatever Beseda. I think it was who said, "The Lord, I'll be more lenient with others because you had the Word of God." Let's say, for instance, my wife and I took a non-hurricane season trip to the Bahamas. And so I rented a car. And so I started driving down the right side of the road like normal we do here in Kentucky. And I got pulled over by the policeman there in Bahamas and taken right to the judge. And the judge, judge says, you're found guilty. Do you have anything to say for yourself? And I said, well, sir, I'm from Kentucky, United States of America. And everyone drives on the right side of the road in Kentucky. He says... You're not being judged by the laws of the United States of America. You should have been acquainted yourself with the laws of the Nassau Bahamas, which you're being judged by. Your ignorance and negligence, Mr. Wright, of our traffic laws in the Bahamas is no excuse guilty as charged. I never go back to the Bahamas after that either. I'm just saying I was responsible to know the laws. I'm supposed to drive on the left side of the road, which I've been in countries that do that but i've never had to drive on that left side of the road i should have known you should have known that jesus is the god of very god and you're responsible to him the gospel is clear god has sent his son into the world the world was the lord was made flesh and dwelt among us you want to see god look at jesus in the scripture he's there for us finally not only submission in person submission in purpose submission in proclamation 49 and 50 And receive the word, for I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Honestly, we were getting to the Ten Commandments. We'll be there fairly soon on Sunday nights, and people think all of God's rules are so restrictive. I like what Dr. Rogers says, the late Dr. Rogers. It really is help yourself to happiness you want to be happy, you want to have the peace of God, then simply do what God asks you to do. I know my parents and I, uh, if you're listening, I know my parents and I that I got along a lot better with you when I obeyed your rules. And when when I did not obey the rules, it was not quite a happy camper. I wasn't anymore. I love my parents. I would not trade them for anything in the world. If you have parents, by the way, a young person that's t- t- trying, doing their best to teach you and raise you in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, grandparents, great grandparents are doing that, you should be praised the Lord that you've heard the gospel. Praise the Lord for that. The word of God given to us, the commandment. He obeyed exactly his submission and proclamation. Whatever the Father said, Jesus said it to us. And third, and the, not only the word, but the witness at the end of 1250 of, of John. Whatsoever I speak, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Jesus' witness was true. The last words of the Jews. Now again, he's thinking back. Back, and it's not chronological. In chapter twelve, these last words were not; set, set, they were said earlier on. John's thinking back to the words that Christ gave to his people, and this it was so clearly abundant that Jesus claimed to be one and one with his, one with his Father. Clearly, eternal life. We have so many people trying to live so long. And as I walk about, as we talked very eloquently this morning about Ex- uh, Ecclesiastes 12, about as we're getting older, our bodies start to. And I was thinking this morning, uh, he said about not standing up straight. I, I have to, if I bend my knees, like, oh, it hurts now to stand up straight anymore. If I straighten my knees, I'm, I'm used to a bend now a little bit. And, and of course, you know, my hair's, that's a big, no, no, no cares about my hair falling out. That's just part of it. And, and, and the bones are getting older. All these things are happening. Would you want to live as you're deteriorating as you are now forever and ever and ever and ever? No! I would like to live and plan to live in a new body that never wears out, fashioned by God for me out of his marvelous grace. The best is yet to come. Are you living for the temporal or are you living for the eternal? An application before I pray. First of all, for the unbeliever, this might be your final notice from God. There was a man who received a second notice from the IRS that his tax payment was overdue. And unless he came forward with that money immediately, there would be legal action. So he he got his money together. He rushes down to the IRS office with his payment in hand. He said to the lady or the clerk, I would have paid sooner, but I never have received your first notice. The clerk replied, well, we ran out of first notices. So we discovered also that second notices are much more effective. (laughs) I will tell you this. Final notices, you better sit up and pay attention. For the unbeliever, you need to receive Christ. For the nominal believer. Now, what? what, You've been talking about this nominal believer thing. A nominal believer, never read your Bible. Sunday morning, they're like, "Uh, where's the pastor today? John? Uh, I don't remember. I, didn't, I haven't read my Bible for like three years. I never pray. I just, I'm just got my, I got my name on the roll, Lord. I think none of them believers. I think a lot of them are unbelievers. Listen, if you have been saved, I want to see. We want to see a difference in your life, and you should be showing a difference in your life. If you're the same spiritual level you are after being saved forty years, you never got it. Personal opinion. John would say. Read First John. I just started that again. I finished my Bible reading this week, so now I'm I'm free to go. I'm free to surf wherever I want to surf. I, I love First John. The pills are immature. No, it's a, so clear. First John, so clear. Listen, if you are a Christian, you need to see it. Jesse James claimed to be a Christian, sang in a choir at a Baptist church on a Sunday morning, went out in the afternoon and killed three people as he robbed the bank. I'm telling you, Jesse James did not have the real thing. I'm thinking. Or else he felt, I I don't think he felt guilty the rest of his life either. he did other things. That's a nominal believer. Get off the fence. Remember I said on Wednesday night, the fence is owned by Satan. I think, I've got one foot in the world. I'm doing pretty good balance. That's Satan's guy. And I've hardly ever seen someone say, you know, I was on the fence. And I fell back and got right with God. Most of them, I'm on the fence. And I just kept going over. Rarely do we see people come grow spiritually. The striving believer which I hope depicts all of us striving to be like Christ. Are we are are we like him? Well, from glory to glory, he's changing me. And, and, you, and you, I could probably get, I could probably give every one of you a chance to say one thing, Pastor, needs to work on. And probably I could give uh, thirty different, thirty-five different ones. And It's probably the same for you. We are a grow. We are a work in progress. Work in progress took him just a week to make a moon and stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How wonderful and gracious he must be. He's still working on me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, how it challenges our hearts. Lord, I'm so thankful that Jesus saved my soul, an honorary sinner on the way to hell apart from you. Lord, we all, we all as Christians want to echo that this morning. If there be even one person today in the auditorium this morning does not know your personal Savior, pray they would come to know your Savior. If there's those who are, are, have named the name of Christ, but their life does not say so, may they get right with you or just be saved. And then we uh, who are striving, I want, to list, I want to put my name there, striving to be more like you. Lord, are, are we really striving or are we just sort of beating the air? Lord, help us that we get serious. Lord, it is the time of of shallow Christianity is over in America. Let's just face it. it. We are being called to put feet to what we have believed and prayers and voice to what we believe the Bible says. May we be faithful in doing that and ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.